Good morning to each of you. Bring you greetings in Jesus' name. I do appreciate and need your prayers. Without the Spirit of the Lord, I have no business to be here. And if I have nothing to say, is it because I'm too full of myself or because you haven't prayed enough of the Spirit into me? Paul said, pray for us that utterance may be given. So I do desire your prayers. As I, we sang that last song, the phrase that stuck out to me, and you will shortly see why, was fit them on earth for thine abode. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 15. I'd like to read this psalm at this time. Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned But he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. The psalm starts with question. Who wants to dwell in the presence of God? Who of us doesn't want to dwell with God? Both now we desire His presence and we look forward to living with Him eternally. And this psalm, while a lot of the psalms are more of a heart's cry, a number of them are complaints against enemies. Some are worship and praise, thanksgiving. This psalm is more of a teaching psalm, more of an admonition. And the last verse here, the last phrase says, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And we live in a world of a lot of instability. Nations rise and fall. People around us change. Circumstances But this is a recipe for stability in your life, in my life. I'd like to look at this psalm in depth, but I'd like first to go to Psalm 40 and bring a few thoughts from this psalm. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. 
He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. Pause there. This psalm, as I've read over it many times, is a picture of salvation. And the the phrase here, established my goings, that sounds a bit like stability, does it not? And as you follow down through here, there's a cry, there's a need, a horrible pit, miry clay, the tentacles of sin, the bondage of sin, salvation, and it's, it's pictured here as we go, and, and the response to that salvation. Verse 3, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offerings thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Can you feel with this song? Can you echo these words? Have you been saved and established? You know, I cannot be helped if God does not stretch out His hand to me. But God will not stretch out His hand if I don't call. If I don't recognize my salvation. And the response here is that of declaring praise, declaring His works, telling others. But that constant recognition that I'm poor and needy. 
as was mentioned in our Sunday school class, the Christian life is not an, ex- a, an experience, it's an ongoing experience. That need for continued fuel on the fire, that continued breath of God, bringing life, bringing correction, bringing sanctification. And that's where we continue to say, I am poor and needy, and yet I say continually, let the Lord be magnified. And I see in this psalm a picture of of worship. That heart that is awed by who God is. But it's also coupled with humility, deep humility, and gratitude for what God has done. Going back to Psalm 15, out of that life, that redeemed life, that life that is established, the goings are established, the heart desiring to praise, we have here some practical, some practical areas that David brings us to instruct us. If you want to walk pleasing to God, if you want to dwell in his tabernacle, and if you want to dwell in his, in his presence. These are things you need to consider. The first three relate more to our being and our attitude toward God. And they're found in verse 2. He that walketh uprightly. And I just said that worship... It's that, that posture of the heart that, that all and contrition combine together. That, and if you read the worship in the Old Testament, almost every time worship is instanced, it is preceded by or followed by bowing down. They bowed themselves down and worshiped. He bowed his head and worshiped. Over and over. It, it's coupled together. It's that, that respect with humility. Here is also a posture. <clears throat> Walking uprightly. I've seen people that walk hunched over or stooped. You can sit. You can sit upright. You can sit slouched. You can lean over uprightly. Something that is, is steadfast, that is positive. No one can abide in the presence of God who has not been set up on the rock. And I see this walking uprightly. He comes out of that, that salvation, that justification, being made whole. Uprightly brings that idea of integrity or or wholeness. Is my life a life of integrity or do I have hidden things that cause the foundation of my life to be shaky that I'm going to fall? I have to think of motives in this. The following two Aspects here are working righteousness and speaking truth. I can do good things and I can tell the truth. But if I do it out of a wrong motive, 
It's pointless, really. So this walking uprightly is the foundation, a life of integrity, of wholeness. That is what God requires. Not hidden things. The second here, and worketh righteousness. This is what flows out of that redeemed life. It's what we do. And our actions are measured by the law. Right? What law? We sing the song, Free from the Law, O Happy Condition. The law of the Old Testament pointed to the perfect law of God lived out in Christ. The law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We wouldn't know what sin is if the Scripture if the law had not made us aware of what sin, what is sin? And yet, and so righteousness is simply aligning ourselves with the law of God. We simply seek to honor the words and the spirit of Christ. And we will fulfill the law. How many times is it said, I'm not sure how many, but there's a number of references In Romans, the whole law is summed up in loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbors yourself. When you do those things, you fulfill the law and you will work righteousness. The commands of Christ and many of those elaborated on by the prophets give us a a clearer picture of what it means. And I'd like to just look at a few of these commands as we think about working righteousness and how we we relate our mindset to God and how we relate to people. Just a few verses. One in Ephesians chapter 4. In thinking of working righteousness. Verse 28. Chapter 4 says... Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Here we are are told that diligence is important. We're not to be slacking at our part, we're to be faithful. Labor, working with your hands, the thing which is good. Not only that you may have, but you can have to give. And that follows directly into the next one. I'd like to just look at here in Romans 12, verse 13. It says, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So here we have generosity. It's that outworking of this redeemed life. Diligence, followed by Generosity. And a few verses down in Romans 12, verse 17, says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Now look at these three. Diligence, generosity, and honesty. And they are a foundation that affects how we relate to others. As I consider this, and a house full of children... 
These three areas are some of the biggest stones that need to be picked up and put in order. Some of us find it not a problem to work. Maybe our problem is knowing when to quit working. But that's not the case in four-year-olds when told to clear the table. Giving is not what comes to our nature primarily. We want to hold. We want to hoard. And we also don't mind hiding things from other people. So this working righteousness, just think about these three things as you, as you ponder your life, your direction. Diligence, generosity, and honesty. Just three aspects of what working righteousness entails. And the third part here in, in uh, chapter 2, chapter, Psalm 15, verse 2, says, And speaketh the truth in his heart. That affects how we relate to others, but speaking the truth in your heart, what we say comes out of our heart. And so it's a heart, the heart's focus. This is a very important thing to God. Many places, the truth and speaking the truth is referenced Part of speaking the truth in your heart is to properly evaluate who you are and see yourself as God sees you. But in Zechariah chapter 8, I'd like to read a few verses there, is is God is speaking through the prophet and he says in the previous verses, he says, I have punished you for your sin. Now I want to bless you. Therefore, verse 16 of chapter 8, These are the things that ye shall do. Speak every man truth. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath, for all these things are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Honesty. Honesty of who you are before God. And honesty in how you interact with people. Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians is a very, very practical book. If you're feeling like you've got everything together, go read Ephesians. The last half. I'd like to look at, again, a few verses in chapter 4. We looked at a verse there earlier, but another verse. Four verses here. Verse 22 to 25. Looking at what the life of the redeemed should look like. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, Notice the deceitful lust. There's things that entice us in our carnal nature. Deceitful lust, desires, but they're deceitful because they never yield what they promise. 
And what do we do? We be renewed in the spirit of your mind that she put on the new man, which is after God, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Notice here how truth and speaking the truth is tied into relationships, especially relationships in the church, in the body. Seems like most of the time that lying is used, it's either to cover up something that I've done wrong, or it's to get it over on someone else. And here we are told, speak the truth because you're members one of another. Who of you wants to hurt himself? The kindest thing you can do is be honest. Speak the truth in your heart. A quote from H.W. Shaw says, There are people who exaggerate so much that they can't tell the truth without lying. We like to impress people. Don't we? We like to be thought well of. We like to have a good story. We like to make sure the details sound exciting. And exaggeration can be, for some of us, it is a temptation. You have facts, some facts to tell. You want to tell a story. Be careful. Be careful that you don't exaggerate. Another quote says, He who is not sure of his memory should not attempt lying. One lie calls for another. It's almost impossible to lie once. You have to tell more and more to cover them up. So don't worry about that. Speak the truth in your heart and with those about you. That is the hallmark of someone that can dwell in God's presence. And now we'll move into the following verses that look further at practical interactions. In Psalm 15, verse 3, He that backbiteth not with his tongue, backbiteth. How many of you said, use that word in your vocabulary daily or weekly? What does backbite mean? For my study, I think it means to slander. Uh, perhaps to, to spy out and look for the bad in others rather than looking for the good. Gossip and telling stories that highlight others' failures or faults. Adam Clark used the, the idea, the phrase, as kicking about the character of an absent person. Kicking about the character of an absent person. Reputation. Well, character is who you are. Who you are. 
Reputation is what people think about you. I can't ruin your character, but I can ruin your reputation. And backbiting has the idea of tarnishing another's reputation. Never say about someone what you wouldn't say to them. The picture here in this backbiteth brings to my mind that of a dog, a cowardly dog. There's some bold dogs that like to come and put on a big tough front. And they usually aren't the ones that are the worst. It's the ones that sneak up behind you when you're not looking and, and nip at you and injure you. Years ago, we had a dog at home, and he was a pretty good dog, but beside the front steps, we went up to the house. There was a, a big shrub, and he had worked out a hole underneath. It was a nice, cool place to lay, and he spent many hours there. He didn't like people to come, and he often barked and met them with that tough front, but I know one time there was a lady came, and she made it up the steps, unbeknownst to him and was knocking on the door. And she turns around and there's this dog growling with hair raised right at her heels. He didn't do her any harm. But there was, there was ill intent. Not willing to confront someone face to face. Tearing down. Backbiting. If you wish to dwell in God's holy hill, you must measure carefully your words. I must measure mine. Are they true and are they kind? Are they necessary? When you're tempted to talk degradingly about someone, to throw a jab, think of a positive thing to say instead. That will be a blessing. The next phrase here, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. This could encompass a very broad range of possibilities, but just briefly to think of a few. If you steal, you're doing ill to your neighbor. You're doing evil to your neighbor. If you commit adultery, you're stealing your neighbor's wife. It's what's his. If you love your neighbor, you'll respect him and desire to see him prosper and succeed. So like that's the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what this, I think, really is, is looking at. Look for ways to bless those around you rather than try to get from and harm. nor doeth ill to his neighbor. The next phrase, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. I think this one relates back to the one just before of, of backbiting. What do you do with slander or gossip? When someone tears down someone else in your hearing, when the talebearer or the backbiter brings a story, you have a choice. 
Will you take up, grab a hold, get a hold of that story, and will you carry it? Or will you bury it? Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. If you hear something about your neighbor, talk to your neighbor about it. Not just about them. Nor taketh up a reproach. Verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. What do you, what do you praise? What do you like to talk about? Who do you like to talk about? I've heard some stories of criminals that are pretty amazing. I've heard stories of people who have disobeyed the laws. I wouldn't call them criminals the same, but someone can boast about how fast they were going and they didn't get stopped. You ever heard that? Do we admire the action of lawbreakers? Do we delight in others' trickery and deception? Just something to think about. Let us admire those who are willing to suffer for righteousness' sake. Encourage others to stand for the truth even when their friends don't. Peer pressure is a real thing. And sometimes all it takes is a little nudge in the right direction to encourage someone to stand for what they know or have been asked to do. It's been a few years since I was a youth. I guess it officially ended 18 years ago today when I got married. But how often when someone, when we see others that are, maybe our parents have asked us to not go somewhere or to not be involved, but we want to. And if someone comes up and says, I'm going to stand beside you. Do what you know is right. Do what you're told. It's such an encouragement. So here, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. Seek for ways to bless those about you that are standing for truth, that maybe suffer because they had to hold out their end of a bargain even though it cost them. Maintain their word. Honoreth them that fear the Lord. And with that, I think some, some of the things that could be involved in that is also who we relate with or who we spend a lot of time with. Psalm 1. We all know that psalm fairly well. Let's say Psalm 1-1 together. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Right there. Blessed is the man that relates with godly people. Those are the people that he wants to bless. Psalm 119.63 says, I am a companion of them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Because who you relate to will affect who you become. The last part of verse 4, He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. We don't swear, right? But we make a lot of promises and vows. The immovable person, and I didn't give you the title, but if you want to write that down, the unmovable person is, is what this is describing. And if you want to be an unmovable person that can dwell in the presence of God, <clears throat> you need to keep your word. Most of us have made vows along the line somewhere. Perhaps you have made a baptismal vow. Perhaps you are married and made a vow to your spouse. There's little places that you give your word every day. When you agree to pay the rent... At what cost? Are you going to do it? When you borrow something and give your word to return it. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That is, that is the mark of an unmovable person. I mentioned a marriage vow and you know, that's, that's a, huge, a huge thing that you know, it doesn't say he that, he that uh, stays married. But in our culture, our society, it's, it's taken so lightly. I ran into a man the other day that I have known for, I knew somewhat, I don't know him well. They had related to another family in church some and, and had come to a church gathering. And I hadn't seen him for a couple years. And actually, I was at market selling and... and uh, a lady came, the lady of the house, his wife came through and bought something and two hours later, I hear he came through and I said, oh yeah, I used her name, was here earlier. He said, oh yeah, she said, uh, we got divorced. And this man would have been a professing Christian for sure and yeah, it's, it's too bad, it just didn't work out. Did he make a vow? As he, did he stick to it? Think about the vows, the promises. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. Chapter, verse 5, He that putteth not out his money to usury. God's people were forbidden to charge interest to their fellow countrymen. And I believe that was because only the poor would borrow money. And it would, they would have a hard time, hard enough time repaying. I don't think debt was used in that, in that time and place like we use debt in our capitalistic society. I may be wrong, but I, 
That's my perception of it. And why God said, do not charge interest. And I think the basic premise here would be, do not take advantage of others. Compassion. You see a need, help them. Don't look for ways to get repaid. Maybe you need to lend some money permanently. Look for ways to bless others. Nor taketh reward against the innocent. Only provides an honest witness. We're never swayed from truth in word or deed by the allure of money or bribes. We don't live, we don't operate in the seat of judgment like some do and have that temptation perhaps. But are we, maybe it goes back a little bit about uh, taking up a reproach or something like that. Do we provide things honest? You know, corruption is as old as humanity and about as prevalent. Have integrity. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. His goings will be established. This is a picture of the life that flows out of worship, of reverence for God, gratitude to God. I'm going to just read this psalm again, and then I'd like to go to Matthew for a few thoughts. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor and whose eyes a vile person is contemned but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. What is the purpose of this life? Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 to 16. Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. That is the purpose. Yes, we want to dwell in God's presence, but we want to Point others to Him. 
Oh, bring our dearest friends to God. Remember those we love. Fit them on earth for thine abode. Fit them for joys above. May these, may these thoughts, these, these words of Scripture help us as we walk. That we can be an immovable person. That we can be established in our goings. Let's kneel together for prayer. Father, thank you for your mercy that you've spared us from so much that we deserve. And thank you for your grace that you have extended salvation to each and every one of us and that you, by your Spirit, give us all that we need to walk a life of, of holiness before you. Forgive us where we fail, where we where we come short, where we make choices that are, are not good. Father, help us by your Spirit to heed your call to, to repentance. And Father, as we've looked at these areas in life, very practical areas and how we think and how we relate to others, perhaps our, our drive in life, Help us to think clearly and, and to bring these things back to our minds as we go throughout the coming days. That we can have lives lived before you that point men to Christ. That our salt would be pure and that our light would be bright. For your glory and honor, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Would any of you have anything you would like to share before we dismiss?